If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to James chapter number 5. James chapter number 5. We're already coming to the last verses of this book, and we will have studied every verse in this book over the last few months. And I, I hope that it's been a, a series that has helped you to understand some of what the Christian life is all about, how you can live it in a practical manner, in a way that it's just you can see God doing something every day. And so that's why we had entitled this Genuine Christianity, because the book of James is really all about that. Uh, it's not the deepest theological book. You're not going to you're not going to go into the sovereignty of God and uh, into the eternality of God and the Trinity and things of that nature. But you do go into, so what difference does it make that God is sovereign? What difference does it make that uh, God is three in one? What difference does it make that God is eternal? And really, that's what James is all about. He's about pr taking the theological truths of God's word and making it something practical in our life. And so we've been studying that uh, in, these, uh, in these first four chapters, and really now even in chapter five, uh, we've been learning about uh, the power of our faith and the perspective of our faith, the practice of our faith, the passion of our faith. And in this chapter, we've been learning about prayer in our faith. Uh, and that might be the most important of all of these chapters, because without prayer, you can't do the other four chapters. A prayer is the key for us to live a genuine Christian life. In fact, it's the most difficult, yet the most crucial discipline for every Christian. This of taking time to pray. And the reason it's so hard sometimes is that of what prayer does. You know, prayer reminds us that we're limited people. I know that you can get on social media and you can kind of read things to kind of inspire you and, and they'll say something like, nothing is impossible if you put your mind to it. You can be anything you want. You can do anything you want in life. And though I know the spirit of those phrases is kind of inspire us to keep going, the reality is, is that we're very limited people. As people, we, 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 we can't do everything and do anything. Uh, and, and so prayer reminds us of how limited we are, but it also reminds us of the limitless resources of our God. Prayer does remind us of how big God is and how small we are. Uh, and so it can be difficult, yes, because of what it does to us, but it can be the most exciting thing if, it, if you allow it to, to take your mind to who God really is his limitlessness, his wonderful, amazing, awesome power, his love, the fact that he talks with us and walks with us, the fact that he even cares about us, all of that is found through time and prayer. And so, yes, it is the most difficult, but yet it's the most crucial discipline of the Christian life. Now, as we read these last verses, verses 13 to 20, James has a lot to teach us about prayer. And so this morning, we're not going to go exactly um, word by word, verse by verse in the breakdown of this passage, but we're going to draw out some of the truths that this passage talks about 
when it comes to prayer, okay? When it comes to prayer, because it is an area that so many times has been neglected. The question has to come to mind so many times, because it comes to my mind, I think it might come to your mind too. Why do we neglect prayer so much? Like if we know that it reminds us of who God is, if we know that it's the link to getting a hold of limitless power, why, why is it neglected so much? Well, I think part of the reason can be summed up in a story that I read about of a, of a small town that historically had been a, a town that had no alcohol in it. It was known as a dry town. If you've not heard dry, it means the word dry is in quotations. It means there was no bars or taverns or anything like that. It was, for many years, it was a small town that had no, no alcohol in it. And, and then one day, a man decided that he was going to start a business with a, with a bar and start selling alcohol there in this small town. And so uh, he started announcing, coming soon, this place, and here's my building, and uh, it's going to be a, a, a bar for the town. And well, there was a church there in that small town that was kind of happy that there was no alcohol because alcohol can bring a lot of trouble. Alcohol has been known to make men be very abusive to their wives and to their children. Alcohol has controlled people to make really dumb decisions like getting behind a wheel of a car and killing someone else on the highway because they can't uh, really use their senses the right way to even drive a vehicle. And, and so this church group was pretty uh, pretty distraught that there was finally a, a tavern going to be in town. And so they decided to begin to pray. And they called an all-night prayer meeting. And they said, hey, we're, gonna, we're going to pray that, uh, that somehow this just doesn't go on, that this doesn't move forward in the plans that this guy's got. And so they prayed all night that night. Well, in the early hours of the morning, a storm came through. And it was a pretty big storm. There was a lot of lightning and lightning actually struck the building there that the bar was going to be on, and it burned it down. Well, of course, the bar owner heard about this prayer meeting, got so mad that he took that church to court, and he was suing them, saying, it's because of your prayers that that's what happened to my bar. It burned down because of your prayers. And the church did not want to be sued, and so they countersued, and they said, it wasn't our prayers, it was, it was all your fault, and, and we're going we're gonna to fight this. The judge that got the case that was going to be ruling on this said this on the first day. He said, no matter how this case comes out, one thing is clear. The tavern owner believes in prayer and the Christians do not. So many times prayer is neglected in our lives. Not because we don't know what prayer does. Not because it reminds us of who we are but we neglect prayer because we don't believe it. And I can tell you I'm as guilty as anybody else when it comes to not praying because I don't believe it. The devil fights me all the time in time of prayer. Kind of like, what are you doing wasting your time? Don't you know things are not going to change? Don't you know that uh, the government is the way it's been for thousands of years and, and there's no stopping it now? Don't you realize it's just going to snowball and you can't change anything there? in your little corner of the office or of the bedroom or wherever it is that you do your prayer? The devil has put those thoughts in my mind all the time. Tries to get you and I to doubt that really prayer doesn't do a whole lot. 
And so James in this passage is going to describe something so important to us about prayer. He's going to share with us some truths of why we shouldn't be negligent in our prayer. But go to prayer because it is important. Believe that your prayer makes a difference. So I want you to notice, if you will, in verse number 13, James chapter 5, verse number 13, listen to what he says. He says, is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they have been forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. It rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his ways shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. There's a lot to unpack in this passage. There's a lot that James wants to teach us about prayer. And I just want to share three truths about prayer that he shares in these few verses. I know there's probably more. And if we took time together to study this passage, uh, one by one, sharing what God has shown us, we could probably have more than just three truths. But there are three truths that in my study I have seen and God showed me. And I want to share with you this morning these three, three truths. I want you to notice, first of all, the times for prayer. The first thing that James shares in this passage is the times for prayer. Now, when Jesus was talking about prayer and teaching this to his disciples, he didn't say why you pray. He didn't say if you pray. He said when you pray. Pray after this manner. It's just a matter of when. James here is not really going to tell us a whole lot about why and ifs of prayer, but he is going to tell you when you should pray. And I want you to notice that, first of all, he said we ought to pray when you are suffering. He says, if any among you afflicted, this word afflicted in the Greek uh, means trouble or hardships. He says, if you're going through something difficult in life, then you ought to pray. That, that word difficulty, if you look in your notes, I put 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 3. And if you're wondering why it's there, it's there for this reason. It says, thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. That word hardness is the same word afflicted in James. It's the same Greek word. So James saying, if you're going through a difficult time in, your, in life, if you're going through a trouble in life, that's a time to begin to pray. You ought to pray when life gets difficult. You ought to play, pray in times when you feel discouraged or you feel defeated. When it feels like no one has anything kind to say to you and you've Anything you do is, is wrong. Anything you say is wrong. And, and people are just coming down on you. And, and you, you feel like you're just in that kind of trouble. The Bible says, pray. This is a time to pray. Anytime you are in, in a difficulty, 
we ought to run to God at that point. And prayer is that means in which we do that. I, I, I kind of, kind of makes me think about the little kid that was in church. I don't know if you've heard this story. The little kid was in Kentucky and he was in church and he was misbehaving and he was just playing around and being a huge distraction during the, the service time, during the preaching time. And, and finally, the parent got so upset. Uh, the dad picked up the child and, and uh, you know, he was about five years old and He's kind of kicking and screaming mad that, that his dad's picking him up and he's walking out, out to the back and, and no one in the congregation even batted an eye. They were, they were tuned out to what was happening. They were so focused on, on the preaching until finally this little kid blurted out seeing what was coming. He said, okay, daddy's taking me. Y'all pray for me now. <laughs> he knew trouble was coming. He knew what was, what was ahead for him. And, and let me just say, that's how we ought to be when we, we are in trouble. Yeah, not to be like, oh, let me figure this out. I'm, I'll be, I, I don't need anyone's help. No, no. At that point is when you need most the help from God. That's the time that you need to go pray. And that's what James said. Hey, a time for prayer is in those times when things are going bad in your life, when you feel like you've been defeated, when the, the realities of life begin to, to hit you. And you're, you're fighting you know, your health or you're in the hospital or, or something is just going bad in life. James says, that's the time to pray. But not only when you're afflicted, but he says also when you're sick. Not only when you're suffering through something terrible, but when you're feeling terrible. When you're not doing so well. The, the word here is the Greek word astheneo. And you can spell it just the way it sounds. Astheneo. It's just a phonetic way of saying it. Which the Bible uses often for those who are physically sick. In Mark chapter 6 and verse 56, there in your notes... It says, and whithersoever he entered, that's Jesus, into villages or cities or country, they laid the sick in the streets. The word sick there is that same word. Those that were, you know, blind or those that were, couldn't walk, that were lame, those that uh, were feeling, had some kind of illness, uh, leprosy, anything like that. Anything of physical sickness is that word, astheneo. And so James says, if you're afflicted, if you're suffering, you ought to pray. But if there's any of you that are sick, that's also a time to pray. In the circumstances of life, good or bad, in the times where you're feeling good or the times that you're feeling bad, it's a time to pray. And James says this, he says, uh, if you are feeling sick, he says, he says, and the prayer, I, I'm, I'm sorry, he says, is any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, oil was something that was used as medicine back in those days. If you know a little bit about history, you know that oil has been used that way. And it's not even, you don't even have to go back, you know, 1900 years for that. Uh, even in, in, the, in the 50s and 60s, I, I know my grandmother used to talk about oils that they would use, castor oil, and depending on what what, uh, what sickness you were, you know, suffering and going through, uh, that's kind of what they use, just kind of these natural oils. Uh, today, I think they're called essential oils. There's a company that uses essential oils, and, and, um, and oil is, is known for that. And so James is saying, if you're not feeling well, you ought to pray, and you ought to have some uh, oil anointed. In other words, use some medicine to, to help you in that. Now, the reason he's talking about oil also with prayer is to say that prayer isn't to be done in a lazy fashion. In other words, prayer is not, hey, God's my genie, let me rub the lamp and let him answer whatever I'm asking for. That's not prayer, okay? Because in that case, 
God would be a genie. And he would be there just to fulfill our wishes or whatever we're asking for. But that's not what James is saying. Uh, Prayer is not to be approached as just a free ticket. No. Prayer is to say, here's what I'm doing. God, would you work in this? I'm doing all I can, all I know how to do, all of my part. But God, there's some things that even oil can't cure by itself. It just needs you. Don't approach uh, prayer in a lazy fashion when you're sick, but do your part. And James is simply saying, listen, when it comes to a point in life where, where you're not feeling well, take the medicine, but in that medicine, understand the medicine isn't always what's going to cure me. It's really God can use that medicine to cure me. But prayer, prayer is that key. So the times of prayer that James talks about is times when you're suffering and times when you're sick. Go to God in prayer. Paul said it this way in 2 Thessalonians 5.17. He said, pray without ceasing. Listen, in all times of life, you ought to go to God in prayer. In prayer. So you see the times of prayer, but notice that James also shares with us the types of prayer. Did you know that not all prayer is equal? And you say, what do, what do you mean by that? Let me tell you what I mean by that. By not all prayer is equal. What I'm saying is that not all prayers are the same. This is why we don't just repeat a prayer, but every circumstance is going to have a different prayer because prayer literally means asking, to ask. That's what literally it means, right? Is to ask. So, I think you've noticed asking is, is, is a question, right, uh, or a, a request. And we don't always use the same words for every request that we want, right? Like, in other words, if you want mashed potatoes, you'd say, can I have some mashed potatoes? Now, if you wanted corn, you'd have to say, can I have some corn? You could not say, can I have some mashed potatoes and expect corn? Right? You have to change the request. According to what you want, you're going to change your request. Same thing with prayer. Okay? The types of prayer, it's not all equal. That's why I know there are some that would teach, uh, well, you have to pray, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. That, that's, and they repeat that for everything. And Jesus was saying, you need to understand that, that what we call the Lord's Prayer, it's an example of what to pray for. We pray for the holiness of God, hallowed be thy name, and you worship God in his holiness. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. That's what God wants to do. What is it that God wants to do? God, God wants his will to be done. Well, you know what? Uh, reaching people is his will uh, and, and, and sharing the gospel is his will. Next week, we're going to have a kids uh, activity so we can invite the community to come and, and hear about God. And that's God's will. So we're going to pray about that. That's what Jesus was saying in that prayer. Pray about my will getting done in your life. He says, pray for our daily bread. And that's why, uh, if you're wondering, why do we always pray before we eat? Because Jesus said, pray for the daily bread. Anytime God gives you sustenance to eat, you pray for it. And you thank him for it. You say, God, this bread I'm eating, or this food, or these beans, or these rice, or whatever it is that you're eating, it's because of you. You see how the request changes according to the situation and the circumstance. Not all prayers equal. There's not just one magic prayer that gets everything. No, 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 no. You go to God for the need of the hour. What is it that you're 
asking for. There are different types of prayer, and it's no different here. James says there is a type of prayer that is for recovery. So in verse 14, he says, if you're sick, if you're physically not feeling well, pray for recovery. You use the oil, you put that on your head, you're asking the elders of the church, you're asking people that are mature, strong Christians to come and, and pray for you. And, and this is a, 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 a request to say, God, would you help me recover from my sickness? I want to feel better. I want to regain my, my strength. And you see this in Luke chapter 18, you see an example of this. And Jesus stood, it says, and commanded him to be brought. There's this guy being brought to Jesus. And when he came near to Jesus, he asked him, Now, what wilt thou that I should do unto thee? And he said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Receive thy sight. Thy faith has saved thee. What a short prayer. It wasn't long. It didn't have a big oratory masterpiece poem to go with it. He didn't have three points and an introduction and an illustration about a kid getting taken out of church. He didn't have a sermon behind that prayer. It was just, Jesus said, what do you want? He said, I just want to receive my sight. He said, okay. The types of prayer sometimes are prayers of recovery and saying, God, this is really simple. My, my request is, can you heal me? Can you make me feel better? Can you get me out of this hospital bed? There are times when Jesus says, yes. There are times when God says, wait. There are times when God says, no. I want you here for a reason. And that's just how God works, but the prayer is understanding, hey, this is what I'm asking for. And so James says, there's a type of prayer that is for recovery. But then there's also a type of prayer that's for restoration. Now, 14, verse 14, he uses this Greek word, astheneo, right, for physically sick. But then look in verse number 15. In verse number 15, he says, And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. I want to explain this because this is a verse that's caused a lot of confusion to a lot of people. When you first read it, it seems like James is saying, If you're feeling sick, and you have enough faith in your prayer, then God will raise you up. And people have taught that that's what Jesus, or that's what James is talking about. And if you don't get, if you're in the hospital and you don't get better, it's because you don't have enough faith in your life. But that's not what James is saying. And the confusing part is because in English, we use the same English word to translate two different Greek words. Okay? Astheneo is physically sick. But the word in verse number 15 is the Greek word kamno. It's a different word, kamno. And it literally means, I put it in your notes, it literally means to be wearied or faint. Okay? To be tired, to be, I don't want to go on anymore kind of position there. And James purposely changes the word to emphasize the fact that the person that is praying in this type of prayer He's wearied and he's tired. The prayer of faith, it's a type of prayer. It's a prayer for restoration because he's tired and sick. And, and the reason that James is saying that is, is there's a prayer to restore him. And he's saying, if you can pray by faith for restoration, then you will be raised up. 
Re-raised up, in other words, regain the strength. And in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, it says, They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall rise up and walk. Shall walk, it says they shall run and not faint. And so what, what James is saying here is, is something of restoration. Not recovering from a physical illness, but he's simply saying you might get tired in the troubles of life. You'll get tired when sitting in a hospital bed and wondering, hey, God, is anything ever going to change? Or, or maybe sitting at home and, and you're feeling sick and it's been a week now and it just never went away. And you're going, what, what, what's happening? It's at that time that you begin to pray for restoration. But not only is he really talking about that, to be a little bit more specific, you read the, the rest of the verse there in verse 15. And he says, and if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. So here's what James is saying. The reason he's using the word camno, you're tired, you're wearied, is because you've been living in a life of sin. And nothing will wear you out like sin. Bible says sin is fun for a season. Man, there's a lot of joy in doing wrong for a little while. Oh, but then it gets tiring. Then you begin to faint. Then you get to a point where you don't want to keep living. You don't want to keep going forward. You don't want to keep moving. You can't get along with anyone. And it seems like all the relationships in your life are starting to break down. Seems like everything that was going good in life no longer is going good. And that's where James says, you know what type of prayer you need? The type that's a restoring prayer. A type that's going to get you back on your feet, if you will. In John chapter 9, Jesus kind of talks about this. They, he was going in and uh, going into this city. And there was a man that was there that was blind since the day he was born. And the disciples asked him, they said, Jesus, who sinned? Did his parents sin? Is that why he's blind? Or did he sin and that's why he's blind? Is something he did? And Jesus said, neither. But there are times where because of our sin, we have consequences. Because of our sin, there's separation. Now, this occasion on John chapter 9, that wasn't what was happening. But there are times where that will happen. The book of Numbers, the Bible says, God said, be careful that your sin will find you out. And so there are, there are times when there are consequences for bad decisions for our sin. And some people in, the, in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you can read this at the end of, of the chapter Paul said, there's some of you that are sick because of your sin. And some have died because of your sin. So James says, what happens when you find yourself where you've been committing sin and the sin is catching up to you? James says, then go to God in prayer because he will restore you. It's a prayer of restoration. He says, I can restore you back. I can give you back the strength that you need. I can give you the forgiveness that you are searching for. Notice what he says in verse number 16, because now it'll make sense. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. 
You see, he says, when you get into that position in life, that point in life where you don't want to go anymore because honestly, sin is just not fun. Then he says, start praying for restoration. To restore your relationships that have been broken down because of this. When, when, when all that sin has broken in your life and you need some mending to start happening, pray. And you'll find that that prayer of faith will help you. You begin to get right with others, confess one to another, and pray one for another. There in verse 16, confess one to another. He's not saying share your most deepest, darkest secrets with someone and let them know all the sin that you have. That's not what he's saying. What he's talking about there is simply if you're not in a right relationship with someone, then you need to talk to them. You need to make it right. You need to get right with them. Sometimes we, 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 we feel like, oh, I won't talk to them for a year and that'll make it better. It's not going to make it better. If you said something wrong, you need to go and say, hey, I'm sorry for what I said. I was wrong. I should have said that. If you did something wrong, going back and saying, hey, I, I, I treated you in a, in, a, in, a, in a wrong way and I'm sorry. That's what it means to confess one to another. It means to get right in that relationship and then pray. Pray for what? For restoration. James says there's a type of prayer that is for recovery from illness. There's a type of prayer that's for restoration spiritually. But then there's also a type of prayer that is for revival. And that's in, found in verses uh, 19 and 20. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth a soul from death, uh, he that converteth a sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. Now, this is a prayer that you pray when someone's wandered off. Listen, this is a prayer that as a parent, when you start seeing your children start making wrong decisions in life, you start praying this prayer. God, help them to get right. I don't know what you'll do, but God, hey, take away anything that's leading them in the wrong way. God, just can you turn them into the right way? It's a prayer that says, God, wake them up before it's too late. God, would you, would you do something in their heart? Can you revive them? It's a prayer of revival. He says, brethren, someone that's saved, he said, you see someone going wrong. Pray for them. Pray for that they get back on God's path. Isaiah said it this way. He said, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. We're all prone to wander off. That's why this prayer is so important. A prayer for revival to say, as that kid's song used to say, it's me, it's me, it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. There's a prayer for revival that we need. James says, sometimes you're going to need praying for recovery. God, I'm not feeling well. Help me to feel better. Sometimes you're going to pray for restoration. God, I'm not... I'm not in a right relationship with people. I'm not living right. Help me to, to be restored and the prayer of faith shall save you. And there are times when you're just wandering on the wrong path or someone you know is wandering off the wrong path. And you say, God, would you be with them? Bring them back. There's something about God you got to know is that he's extremely merciful. God is gracious. So full of mercies. Read 
Psalm 103, and you'll see about the mercy of God, how gracious God is. It's a a prayer for revival. James says, this is the type of prayer you're going to need in your Christian walk. There are going to be times that you're going to need to pray. Yep. And in those times, not... There's not going to be just one prayer that's going to get you out of it. No. Know what you're asking about. Are you asking for recovery? You're asking for restoration. You're asking for revival. What is it you're asking for? God said, ask me. Ask me. Then I want you to notice lastly this morning the transforming power of prayer that James talks about. See, what will prayer do? Is it like wishful thinking? No, it's more than that. If you take time to pray, what's going to happen? Well, you'll see that it has life-giving power. That's what you'll find. He says in that prayer at the end of revival, he said, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death. It's a, it, it's a life-giving power. What a cause worth fighting for. What a cause worth praying about. You know, we live in a world full of causes, right? All these causes that we're fighting for in the 80s, it was the cause against drugs, just say no, said Mrs. Reagan. You get to the 90s and AIDS was a big thing and hey, we got to fight against AIDS. Get to 2000, it's fight against terrorism. Get to 2021, fight against COVID. We're always fighting all of these these causes. But you know what? AIDS is still here. Drugs still around. Terrorism still happens, and I hate to burst your bubble, but COVID's going to go on for quite a while. None of those, though they fight and we fight for those causes, none of them are life-giving causes. None of them have life-giving power, but prayer does. He says, the soul that converteth, that one from the error of his ways, that soul he doth save from death. There's a transforming power in prayer. Paul said it this way in Ephesians chapter 2, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, for by grace ye are saved. He said in Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's a life-giving power, this prayer. This thing of prayer is something that can make someone who is on his way to hell, uh, that is uh, in the wrath of God, to become a child of God on his way to heaven. It's a life-giving power, prayer. And that's why when we are leading someone and sharing with them the gospel message. At the end, when we say, you know, Jesus died for you, he died for your sins that you might have life eternal. God sent his son, and the Bible says he had laid upon him the iniquity of us all. When Jesus died on that cross, he didn't die for what he did. He didn't die for his own sins. He died for the sins of the world for you and for me. That's why John the Baptist, when he saw him, he said, behold, the lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And at the end of sharing that life-giving message that after three days, Jesus up from the grave, he arose. 
And because he lives, you too shall live. Then we invite the person. Would you like to pray and ask Jesus to be your savior? Because there's a life-giving transformation in prayer. James says, it's prayer. The only life-giving thing that you can do. It's not offering a giving an offering at the church. It's not attending every service every Sunday. It's not teaching a Sunday school class. It's not serving in a ministry. No, prayer and only prayer has the life-giving power. Only prayer. It's transformative. But then I want you to see that not only is it life-giving, it's life-changing. It has a life-changing power. The prayer of the righteous can change not only the eternal destination and give that person new life, but even his direction. The last few words in James says, and he shall hide a multitude of sins. In other words, the sins that this person was going to be committing and continue to live out, he no longer will live out. Because the direction of his life has changed. You gave him new life, but you gave him new purpose, new direction. That's what the power of prayer can do. It's a life-changing power. Paul said it this way in Galatians 2.20. I put it in your notes. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul said, I got a new purpose now. In Galatians 5.16, he said, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Prayer is a life-changing activity. It's a life-changing thing that you can do and I can do. James just simply says, remember what prayer can do. It's hard to do sometimes. There are times when you don't feel like praying, but James says, pray anyway. Pray when you're suffering. Pray when you're sick. Don't just use any words. Ask for something. What is it that you're asking for? Let me ask you this morning. What have you been asking God for lately? And understand that that prayer that you're giving, it's a life-changing prayer. It's giving life, but it also can change a life. This morning... If we're not seeing change in our world, could it be because we're not really praying? Maybe we're not asking for the right things in prayer. Maybe we're just not being specific enough. Maybe we're not believing that God can do it. Maybe we're not understanding just how much power prayer has. James told those that he was writing to, those that had been scattered abroad, He said, remember about prayer. Remember there's power there. Can I say in that first century, without the use of internet and automobiles and telephones, without airplanes, without UPS or FedEx, the Bible said they took the gospel to all the world. 
How do you do that without those means? How do you do that without cell phones and emails? Through prayer. Something that those Christians of the first century had that I think we've forgotten is that it's prayer. It's not programs, though I think we ought to have programs. I'm thankful that our kids are in a class right now and learning about God's Word. That's awesome. But you know what? They can leave those classrooms and in 15 years can live just as wickedly as anybody else. Because those programs don't change anybody. They don't have the power to do that. But prayer does. So James says, don't forget this about prayer. Don't forget. I love what A.C. Dixon said. He said, when we rely upon organization, we get what organization can do. When we rely upon education, we get what education can do. When we rely upon eloquence, we get what eloquence can do, and so on. Nor am I disposed to undervalue any of these things in their proper place. But when we rely upon prayer, we get what God can do. Three simple truths about prayer that James closes his letter with. He said, don't forget about the times when you should pray. The types of prayer you should give. But most importantly, don't, don't forget, don't, don't ever let this thought leave you of the transforming power of prayer. This week, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge us as a church. Let's be a people of prayer this week. Let's take the challenge that A.C. Dixon had and say, I don't know what God can do, but I'd like to see. I'd like to be pretty specific and ask him, God, what can you do in this church? What can God do if we all were restored in our relationships? What could God do if we actually believed in the prayers that we were saying? I don't know about you, but I want to find out. And this week's our opportunity to do it. God's given us life. Be at school tomorrow, some of us. Some of us will be at work. Let's just see. Let's be a people that pray without ceasing and see what God can do. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this letter that was written by James. A letter that has challenged us in many areas of our life. And today it has challenged us once again on this area of prayer. Father, I, I, I don't know honestly, what you can do. But I've seen what you've done for others. I've heard and I've read in your word how you took a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old wife and had them bear a child. Father, you've done the impossible over and over again. You took a little boy that had never been in battle. He killed the giant warrior of his day. You took a man that was blind from the day of his birth. And you said, what will you want? He said, just to make my eyes see once again. 
Father, you answered and said, thy faith has made thee whole. I don't know what prayer can do, but I know it's powerful. Father, I ask that you forgive us as a church, as a people, that we've not been a people of prayer, perhaps, as we ought to have been. Oh, I pray that you would forgive our negligence, our unbelief, our lack of prioritizing you. I pray that you would help us to be a people that believe in the power of prayer, in the purpose of prayer, and in the person of prayer. I pray that this week we would we would simply rely on you to see what you can do. We're not going to be lazy. We're not going to be not doing our part, Father, but Oh, I wonder if we just share the gospel and then pray for that message to bear fruit. I wonder what you could do. Oh, I pray that you would do something great in our homes and in our lives. Do something great in this church. Oh, I pray that we would be a people that say, it's time for me to pray and stick to prayer. Stick to a life of prayer. Perhaps this morning you're here and every head is bowed and every eye is closed, but you're here and you're saying, you know, Pastor, that's what I need. I've been living my life as someone that's truly been believing in prayer or one that's been practicing too much of prayer. And to be honest, the times of life that I've been going through right now I haven't run to God. But I see why James is saying it's so important that we have prayer. And so, Pastor, would you pray for me that I, in this week, would live a life of prayer to see God's transforming power, to see what God can do. Would you pray for me to live a life of prayer? Is there someone like that that would just raise your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. God bless you. I see that hand. God bless you. I see those hands back there. Anybody else? God bless you. I see your hands. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. I see that hand. Perhaps this morning you're here and the truth of the matter is is that you've never made of Jesus your Savior. You've heard about Him. You know about the Bible. You know about church. But there's never been a time in your life where you've accepted Jesus as your personal Savior. And so prayer doesn't do much because God only listens to His children. You've never become a child of God. But there is one prayer that you can give to God that He'll listen to, and that is, God, I'm a sinner. And I need a Savior. And I believe that you died for my sins, and I'm asking you to forgive me and be my Savior. See, if that's a prayer you need to make, Ask Jesus to be your Savior. Would you raise your hand? I want to pray for you. I want to pray that God would answer that prayer. God has promised to. But would you give that prayer today? Is there anyone like that? Father, this morning, I've given the word as best as I can. Father, we've all been challenged, I believe, by this area of prayer. 
with those that had raised their hand, my hand was up too. Father, I, I need, I need to live more of the faith that believes and practices prayer. And so I pray that you would help us this week. Help us to be a people of prayer. I ask this in Jesus' precious name.